Welcome to part two of the Janus story. We became really pretty good friends. And she said, my real name is Janice. And I said, wow, thank you. And so I went back to Kelly and my daughter said, yeah, we got to stop praying for Linda and start <laughs> praying for Janice because her name is actually Janice. And her real name was Janice. And so then we continued the relationship. And I kept talking to her and saying, you need to get off the streets. You need to get off these drugs, they're no good for you because she would go through this cycle where she would like, she would be off for a little while. She'd go to prison or something for a few months or, and she'd be off and she'd gain weight. And then she'd come back on the street, be back on, and she'd just get skinnier and skinnier. And she, she was so skinny at times that it was just like, like she was malnourished or something. You said that she would be in and out of prison or jail. Uh, prison, actually. She would go to jail sometimes for things, uh, for, and, and she would, they would transfer her to prison for a short while. And then she, I wouldn't see her for a couple months or three months. And then it wasn't very long. And then she would get out again. And, and then I'd connect back up with her. And, and so anyway, this goes on for almost two years. I'm friends with Janice and we share lunches and we're, praying for her on a daily basis. And I live in this community and we, the whole community actually is ended up praying, be, we're praying for her. Had, had anyone except you met her in the community? No one had met her. Yeah. Kelly hadn't, no one had met her in yeah. the community. Okay. And so fast forward about a year and a half in, I think the timeline's not real clear to me. Um, she, I, I find, I driving around, she, waves me down in the truck and she comes over and I roll down the passenger side window and she, she leans on the window and she looks horrible. She is skinny. She is, has no energy. She, she looks strung out as bad, really bad. And she's like, I, I just can't live this way anymore. She says, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. And, and she, and she says, can I come home and live with you? And I say, wow. I say, you want to come home and live with me? And I say, well, I have to go home and ask my wife and I have to ask my community that I live with. And she said, and she was surprised. She expected me just to say flat out no. And she, she says, you would, you would ask your wife if I could come live with you guys? And I said, yeah. And so I told her I would go ask my wife and my community and, uh, and then she walked away and she was hor she was in a bad state. And so I went home and I say, Kelly and I and my kids, I say, you know, we've been praying for Janice for almost a year and a half now. And she wants she asked if she could come live with us. We just had a two bedroom duplex and and my wife, I, she was fantastic. She says, she says, I, I think it would work. I think we could do it. And 
let's let's do it. Wow. And, and, and I said, wow, I, I did. I was blown yeah. away. And and then um, we, I said, we have to ask the community because having a crack addict live on this our street, our cul-de-sac, we had so many kids in that community. And I don't know, we just, people would be. So we, we planned a meeting that night, asked everybody to come. There were probably 12 of us, 12 of us at the meeting from families, uh, adults from the different duplexes in the community. And we got together and I said, hey, I ha- you know this woman we've been praying for, Janice. She asked if she could come live with us. And so I want us to consider that. And so we started having this discussion about a crack addict living with us on our street. And it was not going well. People were like, no, that we have, we don't want to expose our kids to this. We, we don't, we don't want to do this. And I'm saying, you know, but this is what Jesus talks about when he says, have compassion on people and, and care for people and show hospitality to strangers. I said, this is what the, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is what Jesus is talking about. And they're like, yeah, we know that, but we don't want to do this. And we had talked for about a half an hour and I could tell that this was not going over and they were going to say no. And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden the doorbell rings on this house we were in. Now, one thing you need to understand for this part of the story is that our cul-de-sac was just a small little hidden cul-de-sac, very skinny street off a main, uh, a, a, a larger road. And if you were to go at the entrance of the cul-de-sac, you would not know that it is a cul-de-sac. It actually looks like a driveway. So cars, no one comes down our street. No one but the mailman knows that it's a street. And so no one, anybody passerby would just think, oh, that's a driveway and no one comes down. And so to have the doorbell ring at, and this was nine o'clock at nine, it, it, it was very unusual, not something that ever happened before. <laughs> and so the doorbell rings and I go, I open up the door because I was closest to it. And there's standing a woman with a box of candies. And she says, hey, I'm selling candy. I'm a, I'm an ex crack crack addict that is in recovery and I'm selling candy to raise money for my recovery. And I'm just blown away. I'm like, Oh wow. I crack. Mm-hmm. And, and she was, it was exactly as if Janice were standing there. Um, and so uh, she was just, it was like she was Janice. I've never had, I've never heard of that sort of thing. Uh, like an addict actually, is there an organization that she yeah, was working was, for it, that 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 gave them stuff to sell? Yeah, it I for their it, own. It happened their, uh, yeah. a few times in San Diego when I was there. Uh-huh. I had experienced a few, and so I said to her, "Would would you mind coming in? We're talking about something, and I think you could really help us understand this." Mm-hmm. And so I invited her in. This woman in at, with her box of candy, and uh, I think she was with a. a a church that was running a rehab, maybe like Victory Outreach or something. And so she comes in and sets down her box of candy. And I say to her, we uh, are a community of people living on the street. And we're considering tonight inviting a crack addict to come live on our street with us to recover. And she's like, oh, well, let me talk to you about this. You need, if you do, you got to be careful about this. Mm-hmm. And 
but these, I think it's a really good thing for you to do. And she talks for maybe 20 minutes about what it would mean to have a crack addict. Oh yeah, you got you to watch this. And she needs to get out of her surroundings to a different surrounding. This would be really good. And on and on. And, and everybody's just, we're just staring at her. Like she took over the meeting and, and, uh, to this day, wow. I what believe I believe this was actual an actual angel of God, this woman, because this was so unusual that it all timing all timed up. And so she goes on and on. And then at, at, after she talks for a while, she looks around and she says, we need to all get down on our knees right now and we need to pray for her. And so she's leading a prayer meeting in our house and she says, let's pray. And she gets on her knees and we all get on our knees and she's saying, God, we pray for Janice and for, you know this addiction. And she goes on and on with this great prayer for Janice. And, and then she finishes the prayer and we then we buy a bunch of her candy from her and she takes her box and she leaves. And all of us are stunned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I look yeah. around the room and it was like, she's not coming. Yeah. And I looked around the room and I said, well, what do we think now? And everybody goes, even though we're not, we don't want to do this. We can't deny this is God speaking to us mm -hmm. and we need to do this. Well, that does sound like, what, what is that? What is that New Testament passage? That strangers possibly being angels. So yeah. I mean, show hospitality to strangers yeah. because you never know. Some have showed hospitality strange uh, angels. To, to angels. No, that's, that's certainly in the Bible. And so this was that. And so I looked around and we, they said, we've got to do it. And so then I spent the next two, three days. I, I couldn't find Janice for a lot, for a while, for a few days. I'm sorry. Dan's blowing I'm his crying. <laughs> Wiping his tears. But, um, and so I finally, I'm driving my truck and I see Janice and I talk to her and I say, guess what? We want you to come home and live with us. And she was just blown away. She's like, what? She's like, really? Right? You want me to come live with you? Yeah. I said, you you asked it. I, I pray with my community and with my wife. And she said, okay. And she was so, she was in such bad shape. And so I said, I'll meet you after work. I'll, I'll meet you in this place and I'll pick you up and take you to our house. And, and I called Kelly and we had, we only had two bedrooms. So we moved out of our bedroom and we moved in with our kids and, and so two daughters and Kelly and I living in, in one bedroom and we were giving the other, our, our, our bed and our, our bedroom to, to Janice. And so I went and picked her up and she had just a bag of stuff and she was just in such bad shape. And I took her home and brought her in and introduced her to Kelly and my daughters. And they were so great. They gave her a hug and, and we showed her to the bedroom and said, here, you can have this bedroom and this is where you're going to stay. And, and since she was such bad shape, she, she put her back back down. She closed the bedroom door and she climbed on the bed and she just slept mm -hmm. and she slept for two solid days. I mm -hmm. mean, she did not, she did not move. And Kelly would open the door and peek in there. And she peeked in and she says, she's not even in the bed under the cover. She's curled up like a like a puppy at the end of the bed. She's curled up at the end of the bed. She's not even sleeping in the bed. And 
And she's two straight days, not a peep. And finally, then the third day, she she woke up and she came out for a little while and we gave her something to eat. And she and then she went back and we said, you know, that's your bed. You need to you need to use it. You get under the covers, get in. And she, she went back in. She got under the covers and she slept again for another day. And finally, she got better, uh, somewhat detoxed and. And she did get detox. She so, wasn't was yeah. I mean, without without going through any major withdrawals. Uh, she, I, maybe the for her the sleeping part of it was going through all of that. We we just kind of let her be in her room, and so she she apparently had done this or not, not or had detoxed or gone through this rhythm before, mm. and so she did end up getting detoxed. Uh, and I don't know how hard it is for crack addicts, but. And then she became, she started becoming a part of our community, part of our family. She would go to our community meetings. She would go shopping with us at the grocery store. She, she would sit on the couch uh, uh, with us and watch TV. My daughters would sit next to her and cuddle with her. And I think the picture, I don't know, I didn't want to say this earlier, but I, I think it's important for the picture that Janice was a, uh, an African-American woman, and we were a white family. And so this was a real contrast anywhere we would go. we And uh, we would go in the grocery store, and, and Janice had started the habit of calling Kelly and I mom and dad. And so she would be like two aisles over and saying, hey, mom or dad. And people would be looking at us with the funniest looks. And she'd say, can I get some this cereal or these? I want to get this snack. And and uh, and we would often be together. And uh, and my daughters just loved her. And and so we became kind of a, a, a family for a while. And this went on for uh, this first time that she stayed with us, it went on for like three months, maybe four or five months. I can't remember exactly. Kelly probably would know better. And there came a point where Janice heard the call of the street and got antsy to go back to her neighborhood. She said, oh, I just want to go back and say hi to people. And we knew that was a, that was a recipe for disaster to go back to her neighborhood. And it's like, no, I just want to go. And she would and she left one day. And she didn't come back. Uh, she got back into the crack scene and became an addict again. And I would see her with picking up shopping carts. And I would say, you need to come back with us. You know, you can do better. And, and this happened. And, and she went for a while. And then I think she may have come back and stayed with us a little while. And then went back on the street. And... Um, Kind what, of a, what would that look like when she come back? When she would come back, would she just come to the door and ask if she could stay or what? No, I'd see her on the street and I'd say, "You, you should come back," and and then I'd drive her back. To, oh, okay. I, and um, so this, it, there was a little back and forth, and then um, at some point on the street, uh, she had a, a a main boyfriend who was uh, that she cared about, and she became pregnant. And she was my age. We were the same age. She was probably 30-something, 30 32, early 30s. And she became pregnant. And now we became really worried about her doing crack as a preg, you know, and being pregnant. And so we started praying really hard that 
uh, in our prayers at, at the community and in it, with my daughters at dinner, we started praying really hard that she would be picked up and go to prison because we thought she won't have crack in prison and the baby will be safe. And so we're praying for that. And I'm talking to the police because I see some police officers every once in a while. I say, you know, you know, uh, this uh, Slim. I said, you know, Slim, uh, and, and she's pregnant and she needs to get off the streets. And they're like, yeah, we, we know and we're looking for her and we're hoping we can figure that out. And the police were actually wanting to have compassion on her baby also. And and so it turns out about three months in of being pregnant on the street sure enough the the police pick her up for crack possession or something and she gets put in prison and uh she we're in san diego she gets put in prison in riverside which is up near los angeles it's probably about three hour three hours from us just a side just a side thought those sort of stories that 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 our society would think prison is the answer for a a person on the streets, an addict like that, yeah, yeah. that that's the solution. Yeah. This, it's, it's, it's just, crazy. it just, that's, that's the history of our, of our society for forever. And hopefully that's going to change that. That's just not the yeah. solution. Yeah. It was the nineties and there was a real push against crime. The three strike law was put into effect. And there was a lot of that going on because crack was just out of control. And, um, and so she's, in prison in Riverside. So we hear that and we can, uh, uh, she either contacts, uh, I think she contacts us from the prison says, hey, I'm here. We start driving up uh, every other week, the three hours to Riverside with Jamie and Hannah and Kelly. And we drive up and we visit her in, in prison. And it's a whole, if, if you know, if you visited people or in prison, you know, it's a whole rigmarole. You, you've got to take a whole day for it because they search you. They, they ask you a lot of questions. You have to fill out paperwork. You got to wait here. You go in. Um, and luckily we, we were behind glass with her. We get to go in to where there were tables and, uh, we would give her a big hug and we'd spend time with her and she was getting more and more pregnant. And it was, you know, it was pretty fun to watch that. And, and there were was he getting more pregnant, more pregnant. <laughs> no, right. I, I, I guess I, I don't I, even I know how you say that. that. She was getting larger. Yeah, I don't even know how. To, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I shouldn't talk about things much about, but and there were these snack machines there, and the kids, Jamie and Hannah, loved to get snacks from the snack machines, and and Jamie and Hannah were like eight and ten at the time, and they loved Janice, and they would just hug her and. She loved them, and so we this we did this uh, actually for quite a few months, uh, visiting her regularly in prison. And then one night we get a phone call, and it's a a guard from the prison, and the, she says we're at the hospital, and Janice is having her baby, and she says you're supposed to pick up her baby. <laughs> we're like okay, and we had talked a little bit about it, and we're like. And Kelly's like, oh, I don't know. This is, you know, CPS should be involved. And we don't know what we're doing. What but, is CPS? Uh, Child Protective Services. Uh, okay. And so we drive up to the prison and, or to the hospital actually, and we pick up this baby. It's a little baby boy. Uh, 
Devon, and he actually is born with some crack addiction and um, some effects. And we take we take Devon home with us, and he becomes our kid for a while. Janice is still in prison for about three or four months. We are raising this. You're caring for a newborn. A newborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, crack baby and uh we love him dearly dearly and janice gets out of prison and she comes back to live with us and by this time we had somebody on the block had a camper on a decent sized camper on the back of a truck and we say to her you know this so you can have more privacy with your baby you can live in this camper with davon and she comes back and and we become her family again, and she's, uh, you know, being mother to Devon. And it's a hard transition because Devon is used to us and and he's trying to be his mother. And a few months into this, uh, she decides to go back on the street. It was just heart-wrenching. And this is where, you know, we weren't involved with CPS. She was her baby. He takes Devon and she goes on the street as a crackhead. With Devon. With Devon. And we were crushed. Mm. We were crushed. It was so hard for us. And there was a lot of anger against her. And, and just we loved her, but we were angry with her. And I would be still picking up shopping carts. And I would see uh, this was really sad. One time I saw Devon and some other woman is holding Devon. And I'm like, and I wanted just to grab him and take him home with me. And I'm like, well, who are you? And he's like, oh, Janice gave me Devon for, to hold for a while. And, and I started talking to her. It turns out that Devon would be with different people, like for days, while Janice was on a, a binge of crack or whatever. And I was so, so hard. And uh, this, and, and, and I eventually lost contact with Janice and, um, Devon. Hmm. And about, I don't know how many months later it was that she called us and said she was in a, a hotel, staying in a hotel. And we said, can we come see Devon? And can we come over and see you? And so we met with her and Devon was there and, and she was in this hotel, I think with the, the man who was the father. <coughs> and we were upset with her and trying to say you can't do this you gotta you gotta think of Devon he can't live this life and he was upset and and that was the last time at that point that we saw her and we continued praying for her we then actually ended up moving to Mexico for a couple of years uh, I was a, a professor at a seminary down in Merida Yucatan that I have talked about before and I and so we moved away but we prayed daily as a family for for Janice and for David. And we moved back, when we moved back to San Diego, and I became a a bicycle courier that I told you about, that I was confused of being a a drug uh, dealer. Yeah, yeah. That story. Well, one day I was riding my bicycle around, and I delivered something in like the courthouse or something. And I came out, and I was putting my helmet on, getting on my bike and I hear this voice Dan and I'm like I turn around and it's Janice and I say Janice and we run and we give a big big hug to each other and uh, 
and she starts telling me her story. She said, and it turns out she's been in a halfway house for almost a year. She's been clean. They uh, took Devon, they took her Devon, Devon away from her and she, he was living with her, her sis or sisters in Texas, mm. which was, I was so grateful yeah. for. Yeah. <clears throat> and she was getting her life together. And so we started being in contact with her again. We would go to the halfway house and we'd spend the day with her and we, and, and she was doing so well. She, she was in this program, uh, drug recovery program. She was working at Napa auto parts during the day. And she was also trying to go to school to get uh, her, she got her GED and then she was going to junior college and she, this went on for so she got her GED. So she got it. Mm. Not only that, she got her degree at the college. We went to her graduation. She continued to work at Napa. She just got better and better and better. And she got her uh, counseling uh, license to be a drug and alcohol counselor. She uh, had this boyfriend, and they would go out. Uh, and she, he was a pre street preacher guy, mm. and he they would preach to addicts, and she would tell her story. And I mean, she was just doing so fantastic. It was like amazing that I think she might have even uh, graduated with a, ended up graduating masters. And she continued to work at Napa, just solid. And her life changed. Her mm. life mm. completely changed. Mm. It was uh, we were just. So happy to be a part of it. You know, you don't often see if you work with people that are really struggling, you don't often get to see no, the, the upside. And this was the upside. And this is years ago. This is 20 years ago now, maybe even 25 years ago. And she is still clean. She got married. She have has you, a have husband. You, have you made contact from time to time? We, yeah, we still make contact not, uh, every year or two. We call She calls us or we call mm -hmm. her. So mm -hmm. we talk and she's doing great. And oh, her life wow. is not what it was before. Oh, I'm so glad it ended on that note. Yeah. And she, and, 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 and early on, she got Devon back and she was mothering Devon and Devon is now, I think married has a family of his own and, Wow. I mean, it was, it is just was like super a joy that I just by chance ran, ran into her yeah, in yeah. downtown and we were able to reconnect, <clears throat> but, but that's, that's my story about Janice and, yeah. and, and I don't know how much influence we actually had on her. I think we did and she would say so, but. She, this whole thing really influenced us. It, it changed who we were, you know. I think one of the neat things that she said real early on when she came to live with us, I would, I just left my wallet on a, on a coffee table in the living room. At one point she said, she said, you know, it really means a lot to me that you just leave your wallet here. I'm a crack at it. I could just steal all your money and your stuff. And you just leave it. You don't. You don't put it away. You don't hide anything. You act like you trust me, and that really is important to me. And it was, you know, and it was for me. Was just, I just that was the normal way that I lived. You know, I just we just did. We left our house open. We we didn't care about that stuff. And, and you just it really 
what an amazing story of really the ups and downs and the highs and lows of, of taking the risk to take somebody in and not having any idea what the, what the outcome will be. It could just as easily be, you know, a, a very sad and bad and tragic outcome or like this story, really one that ends in, in not ends, but to this day. Yeah. It's a glorious story. And, we are, and the fact that you, yeah. you continued to pray, even though you didn't know where she was or what she was doing. And we're still friends. Yeah, and you're still friends. Day. And this is what a great story. Yeah, and if and talk about being in the wrong place. I mean, when she when I was sitting in that truck driving them to the crack house and she reached over and grabbed me <laughs> between the legs, that was the wrong place for me to be. <laughs> Very wrong place, this whole thing, uh, uh, with a crack prostitute. Yeah. and But it was the, the exact right time wow. for this to happen. Yeah, this is a perfect story for the you theme know. of this podcast, for sure. The yeah. wrong place at the right time. And just aside to this, uh, the couple that lived next door to us were the German from Germany. And they actually tried to do this too because I knew more addicts that I was in contact with. And there was a woman from Ethiopia named Marta and she actually came with, to live with uh, Klaus Peter and Magda and it, it did not go well. It was really hard. And Marta had some mental health issues. And at one point she was threatening to kill the whole family and, it, it just went really sour and yeah. it was hard for me to see that because they really wanted to to give a good effort toward helping someone and and they did but it was we couldn't do it any longer with Martha and I, but it was it was tough but Janice is one of those stories that you rarely get to see what you've done can actually lead to something transformative and and good and, and maybe being in the wrong place can actually lead to total right time for redemption and transformation for a person. And that's right there would be a great ending and transformation for a person. All right. No, that's good. Okay. Okay. Cue the music. Right, bad? How's that go? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Another dance story. Another day. Another dollar. Perfect.